RingCentral are the leading cloud communications and collaboration solution for today's workforce. RingCentral integrates your team messaging, video meetings and business phone into one application so your team can do more together from anywhere. For a free trial, visit ringcentral.com.au. RingCentral, communications reimagined. Welcome to the Employees Matter podcast, where we bring you the latest information to help business owners, entrepreneurs and managers manage their team through COVID-19 and beyond. Listen in as we share leading edge information with experts across a variety of fields, from HR to legal, to negotiation, to mental health, and so much more to help you not just survive, but thrive through the pandemic. And now here's your host, Natasha Hawker. So one of the themes that we're seeing being played out as a result of COVID is market disruption, which has led to a whole lot of things, including some surprises, such as a recruitment boom, JobKeeper, uh, and there also a spike in claims of rape and sexual harassment in the workplace as high up as in Parliament and in our schools, which is why we're thrilled to welcome back Danny King, our legal expert in this area. Welcome back, Danny. Oh, thanks for having me, Tash. Danny is from Danny King Legal and she's an employment lawyer. And as she says, she's a one trick pony. I want to reflect back to when uh, to JobKeeper, because when JobKeeper came out, you and I spent a lot of time talking about it, about what it was, what it meant and so on. What's your view now as we reflect back 12 months later on this as a stimulus package? What worked and what didn't? God, you know what? I, I think just as I did back then, so I thought and I think it was a bloody ripper. Yeah, I did too. I think it was fantastic. I remember before it was announced, you and I were brainstorming mm. what what could be done and we were writing to governments mm. and um, trying to get on boards and committees and things for certainly yeah. the New South Wales government because um, someone had asked what kind of ideas would make sense in this space. So we came up with something broadly similar. Mm. People are going to end up on the doll queue, so why don't you funnel money into helping people employed and actually help business, which is the engine room of our economy. Mm. And both being small business owners ourselves as well as uh, being service providers to the small business community, uh, it was probably a bit self-interested, but I think on reflection, what the government did was bold enough and just In good record enough. time. In record time. I mean, I think and it was three huge. weeks. You know, and look, it wasn't perfect, but I just don't care. Yeah. It was what we needed. And the delay that would have come from trying to make it more perfect, nothing's ever perfect. No. You just got to aim for good enough. It was yeah. good enough. Yeah, prolific rather than perfect. This, uh, yeah. One of my mentors has told me. What did employers get wrong, though? Employers? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there were a lot of uh, fiddly bits. So there was sufficient time to... <laughs> pack in a number of specific requirements on employers around JobKeeper-enabled directions. Mm. So I think a lot of employers failed to recognise the fact that they had to jump through more hoops than they would have expected if they were going to, for instance, vary an employee's hours so that they were only working 
for what the JobKeeper paid them. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of technical breaches that are underlying subsequent decisions that will be a bit of a rich picking ground for mm. applicant lawyers over the next couple of years to reflect on, oh, well, there's a technical breach back here and that's a civil penalty provision. So we'll tack that onto our claim, thanks. Mm. And also, oh, because you didn't apply the rules, and I haven't seen any cases do this yet, but I'd be interested to uh, keep on top of it. Because you didn't tick the right boxes of the JobKeeper enabled direction, it was not a lawful direction. Mm. And accordingly, you actually go back pay. Mm -hmm. There were also a bunch of people who felt like they had no choice but to accept significant pay cuts, mm -hmm. uh, which even with the JobKeeper enabled direction, uh, they were... Uh, a PR issue from an employer to an employee. Mm. And so that, that damages the, the thread of trust and confidence between the parties. And that is reaping uh, the, the kind of rewards now of people being a little bit less loyal. Mm. And with the jobs boom, people are remembering, well, you know, you did cut my pay by 30% and made me feel like I had no choice but to accept it. So I'm going to go over here now. Yeah which is what we talked about the other in our other podcast, which I think is happening. What about if you run a business that you don't think is going to survive now? We're talking today uh, about mid-April and JobKeeper stopped, last payment's coming in, I think on the 21st of April, and you're not sure you can make it. What do you need to be thinking about or what actions should you be taking? You need urgent, mm. urgent advice from an insolvency practitioner. Mm -hmm. uh, because you are more than likely trading insolvent mm. and you need to act immediately mm. because if you can't pay your employees' entitlements that are accrued and you also can't pay their wages, then you can't pay your debts as they're falling due. And that is a, a very big deal. Mm. So don't ignore it. Don't think that you can trade through it unless you've got some really good chunky gigs in your pipeline and you're able to secure some funding or you can recapitalize or um, refinance any of your debts. Uh, but yeah, don't get help. Yeah, don't think you can brazen it out. Mm. So let's change tact and think about the new COVID world of work. What is it going to look like in your view, Danny, for employers and employees? You know, are there any trends that you're already seeing, you know, about this new way of working, working flexibly, all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, look, I've, I've got a number of clients asking for help about getting reluctant homeworking employees back into the, the physical work, work environment. And I've, I've got to say, uh, you know, I'm working from home today so I could have a, a sneaky couple of hours at the family Easter show with my son because mm -hmm. our holiday camp fell through. Um, and I, I personally like that flexibility. Mm. And I know other members of my team do too, but uh, especially in the leadership team, we've got a preference for all of our people to physically attend the office because uh, our juniors learn need that environment of osmosis mm. to to not only learn 
with the tasks that they're given, but have the opportunity to join in on conversations. It's so true. I reflect back. We talked about my professional consulting firm, uh, consulting background before. I worked with a, a fabulous HR manager who taught me a lot called Nicole Macon. And I, the amount that I learned just by listening to how she dealt with people over the phone, uh, how she deal with the queue of people that came to her desk was just incredible. And you couldn't, you can't replace that. And as much as I'm a working from home advocate, you cannot replace that listening by osmosis. And it's also the uh, collegiate connection. Um, it can be quite isolating to, to work from home, particularly if you're just starting in an organisation. Mm. Um, we hired some people during COVID and I think the experience of being a new participant in our firm uh, was nowhere near as fun or good or... Um, well, you're how- a lot of fun too. You guys have a lot of fun. Um, straight with <laughs> <laughs> not quite so fun over zoom you can still have virtual drinks but it's not quite the same yeah although the risks are significantly reduced they are they are okay so let's talk about you know the fact that there are some parts of the economy that actually have the opposite problem that are in a recruitment frenzy they are booming at the moment what are some of the ER obligations that employers should keep front of mind if they're recruiting that often get forgotten? I think this space doesn't necessarily get the attention it should. And um, what do you see in that space that people are getting wrong? Uh, two big things. Firstly, discrimination and adverse action is a thing before you've hired someone. Mm. So if during the interview process, you're looking at a woman in her 30s and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if she's going to breed. Don't ask her uh, and don't, uh, don't ask questions like, oh, so have you been recently married? Okay, okay. Mm. Were you from a large family? Uh, you'd be surprised. Just to that still something. happens. Oh, yeah, all the time. So discrimination, uh, just be aware of that. And secondly, and probably more um more insidious are pre-employment representations that are being made by recruiters or line managers Mm. that are not necessarily endorsed by in-house legal or the bosses. Things like your career trajectory will be. Mm. Because if the person is relying on that representation to their detriment and they are leaving a pretty good wicket to come across on your promise, thinking it's cool, I'm going to be this level manager within three years' time uh, and, you know, three years ticks by and you're still doing the same job, then you've actually got a claim in the consumer law, misleading and deceptive conduct or what was in the old Trade Practices Act days. Um, And in, in some cases also the financial stability of the new employer can be something that uh, is misrepresented and an employee jumps ship and goes across and then is later made redundant because the employer just can't handle enough headcount or whatever. So just just be careful what Mm -hmm. kind of uh, promises you're making to get a person to jump across. And secondly, in, in that representation banner, and being careful about what people are saying is about contractual obligations. Mm. Your 
in most markets, you're going to have to be aware of post-employment restraints of trade. And you can be, as a new employer, liable as an accessory to a breach of contract, where you are encouraging someone to act in breach of their restraints. And you can get your employer in a bit of hot water if you go ahead and say, oh, yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll look after you. Don't worry about it. Uh, if you ever get sued, we'll just you know, we'll be there to protect you uh, if you don't mean it. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm. What about it, as a result of COVID world of work, what are you seeing, and it may be too early for this, any of the new case law trends as a result of working from home? Are we seeing, for example, are we seeing a spike in performance management issues where people are doing it remotely or workplace health and safety accidents. You know, people are tripping over putting the washing out and, you know, while they're at work. How's all that panning out? Uh, look, anecdotally, I, I've noticed um, not so much of the slip and fall stuff, more of the psychiatric-based mm -hmm. uh, claims. It's, it's harder to feel resilient when you're away from your support networks and you're at home and um, it's it's very easy to say things in emails that get taken out of context it's also uh, there have been studies that show like you're writing an email and you're angry uh, you say a lot more than you would say if you were looking at someone because you think oh yes I'm getting that message yeah yeah so um, I think the the instances of bullying or perceived bullying and the psychiatric harm that comes with that uh, that's that's a bit of a covid symptom in the in the broader workplace i reckon the other one we're seeing a bit is people not being able to switch off so they're working longer hours because it's there the laptops mm -hmm. on the kitchen bench or wherever it happens to be and so they're they're doing emails at nine o'clock at night rather than more of those regulated hours that they tend to have the barriers around the workplace in, in an office Look, scenario that's that's not just a safety issue that's an underpayment issue yeah uh depending on what your contractual and statutory obligations are it could be <laughs> you've got uh some minimum call obligations that apply to that person and if they're expected to check their email at nine o'clock and they do and they end up doing, you know, five, 10 minutes of work, you might be on the hook for four hours worth of pay just for that. So yeah. be, be careful. careful. Be careful. What about wage theft? It still seems to be an issue. It doesn't seem to be a week that passes where we don't see this in the news. Um, and uh, and it's still a lot of it at the big end of town, but I'm, I've got no um, doubts that it's happening at the smaller end of town as well why does this continue to cause so many issues you and I've done some talking on this yeah look I don't think this is going anywhere no uh, ever this this is a part of the the push and pull of employment relationship it's embedded in our culture it's how our two-party system operates but labor and liberal and we've also got unions pushing and employer groups kind of defending. Couple that uh, context with the extreme complexity of the instruments that employers are expected to comply with. And even the 
biggest employers who've got full teams of people and the budget to pay consulting firms a lot uh, to help them with this sort of thing. It's, it's too complicated for them. Mm. And so mistakes happen. I, I actually genuinely believe that a, a number of the uh, massive underpayment issues that we see are mistakes. Yeah. I, I don't think I mean some of them might be opportunistic but I I don't have an assumption that they all are at all and I think the the personal liability exposure with penalties as well as the ability to pierce the veil with accessorial liability is is really scary Mm. and it's making it a a focus for certainly boards Mm. and payroll executives and HR executives. And so uh, I think the focus on these areas is not going anywhere. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Okay, I couldn't let today go um, without, you know, obviously in the last few weeks and months, we've seen accusations of sexual harassment and even rape in Parliament House. What are the risks to government from an ER point of view? You know, and I, my personal view is this is tip of iceberg. Um, sadly, we've been recently investigating a case of sexual assault in the workplace around the Christmas party. So there is a lot of this going on still. Why is this happening? And and do you, where do you believe we're at? Do you think we're at a tipping point with more? I, I think we're going to see a spike again of um, people actually making claims of sexual harassment because there's that sense that there is an opportunity to do so, a groundswell. What's your view? Look, I agree. I don't, I don't know whether the incidences are increasing and I, I have no way of knowing that, but uh, I, I do think that the voice of the person who's been violated is becoming more powerful. Mm. And that's a really exciting time to be, I've got goosebumps talking, literally goosebumps my arms and my legs. It's a really exciting time to be uh, a woman and a practitioner at, at this point in time because I've seen the shift mm. and I've, I've helped women through a lot of different kinds of um, situations that now I reflect, you know, I'm well, doing this 10 years ago, I would have done this differently. Mm. I would have given you uh, different guidance. And now I think you are able to speak your truth and it not necessarily be career suicide. Still bloody hard. Yeah. Um, but we've got powerful mechanisms for protecting you now and more and more powerful people who are stepping out to help. Mm. Yeah, I think... <clears throat> Parliament House, that that culture has been a very challenging environment for a very long time. Mm. And the the women who've been able to survive in that culture uh, to date are astoundingly strong and have been doing it for us. Mm. So they deserve, doesn't matter who they are, what their politics are, mm. They, they deserve our gratitude and our you know, congratulations. Yeah, because <laughs> it's going to have to change. You know, we need 
we need more women in politics and and unfortunately i think the culture is it means that that's very difficult for many women it's not just members of parliament it's it's everybody that works in the ecosystem mm. there it, i've had it described one of my favorite people is annabelle crab oh i love it too yeah not that i know her personally i'd love no. to but i i think it was her that described it as a bit of a summer camp oh wow boarding school where you've got all of these people that come in from all across Australia and they have to physically attend Canberra and they all get their own offices and they've got their staff and they get to go and they pick their art from the, mm. the vaults and you know there's this this whole palaver that they go through and there are different places that they go for drinks and special clubs and, and things like that and it's a real ecosystem of people who are removed from their everyday life to be in the Canberra bubble and human beings are not the kind of animal that can do that and behave well mm. um, I, I know what I'm like when I'm on tour <laughs> I, I quite like being on tour um, and I'm not a sex pest yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so it's it's the kind of environment that makes it easier for bad behavior to to happen and also there's the the overwhelming cultural um pressure of not not saying anything not challenging it oh no that's just the way we do things around here mm. And look, for years, the, oh, that's how we do things around here, excuse has worked until it doesn't. Mm. And we look at the major shifts in employment law that we've seen around sham contracting as an example, uh, you know, the ODCO model is falling apart. Mm. And they had this almost um, lawless, <laughs> interesting approach to, to contracting that, uh, kind of took advantage of the the loopholes but now not even that's kind of standing up to scrutiny in different courts so there's a, a whole bunch of things um in a lot of different contexts that just aren't holding up and mm. i think parliament and the culture is something that especially as the younger women come through we're teaching them to have a voice yes our daughters are speaking it. Yeah. And good on them. I agree. So what do you think businesses can do to reduce the likelihood of sexual harassment or assault in the workplace? Look, the, let's start with the biggie, sexual assault. Mm. Um, there are some practical steps that can and should be taken. And alcohol is, is not a good um, thing to, to just, allow people free reign um, and dark spots. Mm. So I, I'm not suggesting that we say that women don't attend these sorts of things because that's just so wrong and against mm. my religion of I want to attend all of the things, particularly with all of the alcohol and don't mm. you leave me out of fun um, and don't you dare blame me if mm. I'm in that situation and something happens to me. But at the same time, as an employer, I can recognise that there are heightened risks 
in those situations and take proactive steps to try and make sure that you know people get home safely mm -hmm. people are buddied up there's no um no one left behind mm. those sorts of things and with a, a young workforce you know particularly the young people coming through it's it's a, a practicality thing i think mm. that helps on a cultural basis you have to have a, a zero tolerance mm. for all forms of sexual violence including jokes or references or pictures or or anything like that and that that needs to be courageously enforced by every single level of the organization you know the the entry level position should have the same voice to call out poor conduct or discomfort as the ceo does mm. and so as a a practical measure there an induction training course that emphasizes the importance of holding colleagues accountable and the protections that come from making those those kinds of uh, reports from victimization yeah. those sorts of things really need to get in there on a, a grassroots level right coming to the end um we've talked about lots of things today and thank you for your time if there is there one area of employment law that you see is going to be absolutely key over the next 12 months oh that's a good question i i do think that the the shifting community standard of what is and isn't okay with regards to sexual relationships in the workplace, consensual sexual yep. relationships, is where we're going to see the most flux. Mm. I've noticed in the 12 months until today, the, the shift has been quite dramatic. And if we were to reflect on even just five years ago, the, the cultural expectation of uh, certainly a, a power imbalance based relationship is that it's it's just not okay. Yeah. Five years ago, no one would bat an eyelid at it. Mm. And so there's a lot of people who will have historical relationships that are quite concerned at the moment because it was okay at the time is not the kind of thing that's really cutting the mustard, particularly with public perceptions. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking that there's, there's going to continue to be a shift, which is difficult for everybody because it's, it's not legislated. It's not a, um, a nice, clear, black and white sort of uh, boundary that we can look to apply. It's, it's very much the vibe and mm. feeling our way through and trying to avoid media furor uh, because that's, that's when the wheels really fall off. And let's face it, so many people have met their partners through work. So many, mm. so many. And the, the prevalence of apps, a recently single person uh, as I am, uh, having found apps, mm. it's a completely different world. Mm. <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> Dating's very different than what it used to be when I was out there. So different. And um, 
I don't know if that makes people more or less accessible uh, for a reflection on workplace relationships. Mm. Not that I want to have a relationship with anyone in my workplace. I want to make that very clear. Just in case anyone's listening, it's okay. <laughs> Talk about a power imbalance. My name's on the door. Yeah, um, yeah look, it, that that's terrifying, really. Whereas only five years ago and certainly 10 years ago, no one would bat an eyelid hmm. at me having a relationship with one of my staff members, as an hmm. example, hmm. apart from, you know, everyone that knows us because that'd be really weird. <laughs> well, look, we are going to leave it there. As always, Danny, it's a pleasure to catch up and discuss recent events and how uh, they are and will continue to impact business. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to contact you? Look, give me a Google, Danny yeah. King, spelled the boys way, D-A-N-N-Y. Or send us an email to hello at dannykinglegal.com. Brilliant. If you enjoyed this interview, you're also going to enjoy our other interviews with Danny. So please do check them out. Thanks for listening and remember to subscribe. Or better still, tell all your friends and family about the Employees Matter podcast. I'm Natasha Hawker, and remember your employees really do matter. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode of Employees Matter podcast with Natasha Hawker. For episode notes and other resources, please visit employeematters.com.au forward slash podcast. While you're there, you might like to subscribe for future episodes so you can continue to thrive during the COVID-19 crisis. Please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends, team and business network. This podcast was proudly brought to you by Ring Central.